Welcome to the Express Soul Health and Wellness Podcast. In each episode, you'll learn from experts about the best practices and technologies to live a happier, healthier, and hopefully a longer life. Here is your host, Claudia Erdinola. Hello, welcome to Express Soul Health and Wellness Podcast. Today's episode, I have the pleasure to talk about Amanda Decker. Amanda is an FNP, graduated from the University of Vanderbilt in 2005. Uh, she specializes in weight management. So today with Amanda, we're going to discuss weight management. We're going to discuss all of these new year resolutions for people that want to lose some weight. We're going to discuss obesity um, and ways that we can prevent obesity and manage weight from dietary approaches. She has a practice in uh, Dixon, Tennessee, and she has been very successful uh, designing programs for his her patients. So we're going to be talking to Amanda about all of that. If this is uh, something that is interesting for you, just stay tuned. Here is Amanda Decker. Thank you. How are you, Amanda? I'm good. How are you, Claudia? Wonderful. Thank you. I'm going to read a little bit of your bio. So our audience understand better where is your professional background and where are you located, where is your practice and all of that. So Amanda graduated from Vanderbilt University School of Nursing in 2005 and has worked in primary care since that time. She became interested in using nutrition as medicine through her own weight and health journey. In 2018, she began to focus her practice on medical weight management. Her passion is helping others prevent, improve, or reverse chronic health conditions through nutritional and lifestyle approaches. Amanda has multiple advanced certifications, uh, such as a certificate of advanced education through the Obesity Medicine Society, a SCOPE certified through the World Obesity uh, Federation, uh, certified as metabolic health practitioner through the Society of Metabolic Health Practitioner, and also as a ketogenic nutrition certification through the American Nutrition Association. In July of 2021, she opened DMA, Weight and Wellness uh, Practice in Dixon, Tennessee. So thank you, Amanda, and thank you for being here in our Express All Health and Wellness podcast. Happy New Year. Happy we are recording, <laughs> we are <laughs> recording this episode on the first day of 2023. And as you know, a lot of our audience have high expectations for the year. They really have these New Year resolutions. Many of them on reducing weight, losing all of those pounds that they gain during the winter. They want to get back to those smaller genes they have in the closet. There's big expectations about uh, health and wellness, but especially about the weight. Um, how do you, what do you think about those expectations on how do you help those patients that have these New Year's resolutions to manage those expectations at your practice? Yeah. So at first I'd recommend don't making a new year's resolution. <laughs> I resolve not to resolve anything. I am about setting goals um, because resolutions seem like something that could be temporary, something that could end or they kind of fall by the wayside, but your goal can be ever evolving. Uh, and you know, you may set up with a goal of losing weight and getting healthier, but what that looks like every single month and every single day may be different, but you're headed towards that goal. So the first place I start is don't make a resolution. Don't say I'm going to go to the gym five times a week, come heck or high water kind of thing. Cause you, you know, something's going to happen and that's not going to take place, but that doesn't mean you can't be working on your health and wellness and headed towards that direction. That um, just making a goal for health that can be very fluid and moving. That's, that's correct. And for many, you know, the, the year that started, let's say January first, like today, I gonna start today. They wake up late and, oh, but I have leftovers for the day before. Maybe I start tomorrow. So all of those resolutions start getting a little delayed. But as you say, setting up a goal for the year is always healthy. It's all about making it realistic and make a program that really works. So I, as I read before you, you were graduated from Vanderbilt University in 2005. And I am curious, 
how did you get yourself into this field of weight management? What was your motivation to get into the weight management? Yeah, yeah. So I worked in primary care for, what, 10 plus years, and I, I just got burnout. I got to the point where I was so tired of seeing all my patients getting sicker and more unwell. And all I was doing was putting more and more medications on my patients. And it got to the point where I didn't even want to be in primary care anymore. Uh, I didn't feel like I was helping anybody. And I took a step back and I looked at myself and it's like, you know, 12 years ago or in 2012, 2013, I wasn't very healthy myself. Actually, no, it's 2008. I'm getting all my years mixed up. So 2008, I wasn't all that healthy myself. I had um, over 40 pounds to lose. And I lost that weight and I kept it off. And it's like, how did I lose that weight? And I struggled with obesity as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult. And here I was in my middle-aged 30s, 40s and struggling with it. It's like, what did I finally do to, to lose weight and keep it off? It's like, well, one, I cut the crap from my diet. I got rid of all the processed food. I got rid of all the white food. I started thinking, you know, when my great grandmother said I needed to lose weight or she needed to lose weight, she cut the cookies and the biscuits. So why don't I cut the cookies and the biscuits too? And I focused on meat and vegetables. And it's like, well, if I can do that, I can turn it into something I can help my patients with and see them getting healthier. And so I did. And at first it was all about calorie counting. And I was like, this is not what I did to lose weight. Why am I telling my patients to sit here and count calories when I failed on that so many times? And that's not what has made me successful. And I started studying, I got some advanced certifications, I dug in more and I said, no, no, it's really about the food quality and what that food does to the hormones in our body and how we improve our metabolic health and controlling satiety and hunger and those type things. And I dove down the road of uh, low carb, but it went further than that, Paula. So yes, I started seeing success with my patients when I started doing low carb, but I had other health conditions that were improved too. So I had psoriasis from the age of five. And my psoriasis improved and I was able to get off of medications by cutting grains and going low carb and reducing my inflammation. And so I was like, no, I can use this in so many different areas of practice. And that's when I started just really getting deep into it and feeling that fire in my soul again of helping people be healthy. And it, it reignited my passion for primary care making people get off of medicines, achieving that health and not just getting sicker. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. Wow, but that is awesome. And, you know, it is interesting because I had another um, person in my podcast not long ago. She's a doctor. She's a actually functional medicine doctor. And her journey to getting as a functional medicine doctor was very similar as yours. She was sick and tired to see the people coming with chronic conditions, going physician over physician, not finding answers until she find out that, the, the core of everything was on the prevention, bringing them to, to the, to the core of, of preventing them from getting more inflammation, nutritional protocols that help them, have them evaluated in a different way that it was more preventive. So I loved your story and I think it's so much on point. People can and get, uh, you know, to know you better through this podcast, but also understanding that Maybe what we need to do right now is doing an evaluation of what we're eating and what we're doing wrong that are not taking us to achieve those goals that we would like on the weight management. So if I am a new patient, Claudia is a new patient, is going to your practice, and I walk there as a, as a new patient of Amanda, what are those steps that you will take me or any other new patient to get fully evaluated and then you will do a workup on that patient, let's say. Yeah. So a new patient to our weight management program, because that's the only program that I'm really growing right now in my practice is weight management. So someone who does struggle with obesity um, is, can be accepted as a new patient. We accept insurance in our practice, so I bill it all through insurance Wonderful. instead of cash pay, which makes it accessible to just about anybody. Um, so when they come in, that first visit is an hour long, Claudia. So during that time, they're going to come in and they're going to do a test called a metabolic rate test, which you tells me how functioning is their metabolism. They're going to listen to a short video, which is me kind of going over the nutshells of our program, the nutshells of what I think uh, triggers weight loss and why I choose the direction that I do. And then they're going to sit down for a consult with me and we're going to review their medical history. We're going to look at their um 
lab work, you know, see what is missing, what I might need to add that might give me more clues into their particular situation. We're going to dig into their weight history. Where, what have they done in the past? What's worked, what hasn't worked and try to help them understand why it's worked or hasn't worked for them. Um, and then create a plan. And that plan is grounded firmly in nutrition, but it also has other aspects to it. Uh, everybody's journey is different, but the nutrition is the core of all of it. And then I'm going to see them for the next, um, three months, about six different touch points between me and my staff through health coaching that we do through an app and also other visits with myself, some virtual, some in person. Um, you know, the more frequently they have contact with me and my staff, the more successful results usually are in the end. That is awesome. You mentioned obesity. So how do you define obesity and what is the difference between obesity and morbid obesity? Yeah. Yeah. So The medical community uses BMI, the body mass index, as um, the marker for obesity. I'm not super keen on BMI because it doesn't take into account muscle mass. It doesn't mm -hmm. take into account water weight, any of those things. I like to look at body fat percentage more than I do body mass index. And so for a female, we want that body mass index to be under 30. If it's above 30, it's considered obesity. And for a man, it's 25. And that's not to say that's where someone is comfortable at. That's just kind of the marker of this is where obesity starts. You know, and this idea of morbid obesity, I'm not too keen on that word either because in no other health condition do we say they're morbid. So we don't say morbid hypertension or morbid heart disease, but we do that with obesity. But the general idea is of morbid obesity is you've reached a point to where your fat mass is so great, usually about 100 pounds over where your ideal body weight is, mm -hmm. that it is causing significant harm to the body. So it's just kind of a, an extreme level of that. Um, but obesity, you even have people, have you ever heard of the term skinny fat, Claudia? Yes, absolutely. People yeah. that look skinny on the outside yeah. and they have a lot of visceral fat. I yes. hear that. Yes. And so, you know, in my opinion, that is just as much part of obesity as someone who reaches True. a certain point of body fat percentage or whatnot, because those people are sick. So if I was to define obesity, Amanda Decker's definition of obesity, it is an accumulation of fat on the body that is impacting the overall metabolic health. So if it is making changes to the body, if it is causing negative impacts to the body, it is obesity. And it doesn't matter if it is five pounds or if it is a hundred pounds. We're in that obesity spectrum. Wow. Okay. Um, we have in, in our family, myself and, and my husband, some family members that are struggling with, um, with the weight management and, and they consider themselves overweight. But the interesting part is that we hear this very often. They, they, uh, they say that they are overweight because genetically they are like that. Oh, it's my bad genes. I, I have my grandmother's genes, my mother's genes. So I have cellulite or this or that. Are we really preconditioned genetically to be overweight or, or this is a misconception? What is your opinion on that? So I think largely it's a misconception. A lot of people just think that they don't have any option, that that's what's going to happen. They're predestined to it. And there are a few genetic causes of obesity, things like POMC and leptin deficiency, but these are present from birth or very, very young childhood. And it is extreme. You know, it is the toddler who is already weighing a hundred pounds or the toddler who's already, you know, weighing significant amounts. And that's not the majority of the world population that struggles with obesity. Now, I do think that there are some genetic tendencies. So if mm. it runs in your family, there are some tendencies for that. And some of that or most of that is due to environmental things. It's the environment that you grew up in, the food environment that you grew up in, the environmental exposures of things that you grew up in. But, you know, I'm in the South and you've been here before. Or you're kind of in the South, too. I think of the obesity genetic like this. So you have a, you have a gun and you're, you're loading that the bullet in there that is the obesity gene, but whether or not that goes off depends on what you do with it. So if you feed it in a certain way, that's going to go off and you're going to be more likely to become obese. Mm -hmm. Or if you're in an environment or a situation that encourages it to go that way, it's going to happen, but it doesn't have to, which to me, that's empowering to know that you're not a hopeless case and you can do something about it. Yeah. Absolutely. And I totally agree with you. I lived in Tennessee. 
my husband and I lived on the other side of Nashville toward Lebanon on the east side. And we enjoyed a lot of the southern cuisine and, and, and it's, uh, it's culturally, you know, everywhere and it's so delicious, but very often loaded with carbs, with gravies, with sugars. So for somebody that is in this environment, culturally influenced by this food, how, how do we empower that people to get out of that train? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the entire weight loss journey, but particularly this is about mindset and the individual has to be in that right mindset. And I like to tell people, focus on what we can have, not what we can't have. Because if you're constantly dwelling on what you can't have, that's all you want. That's all you think about. It's all you crave. And then start thinking about nourishing the body, not pleasuring the body because a lot of those things they're doing just for pleasure and that pleasure hit in the brain and not for true nourishment of the body. But at the end of the day, and this is another great reason to lose, use low carb is replace what you can't give up. So if you can't give up that bread or that biscuit in the meantime, figure out a way to make it differently. Go find a recipe and make it differently until you're ready to give it up completely. So Mindset, focus on nourishing the body. And if you just absolutely can't let go, find a replacement. So for a lot of carb diet, I mean, if, if we understand that those biscuits, those cookies, those those delicious breads that, that most of the Southern cuisine has, they have to replace it for something that is much better. What would be examples of that? Replace it for what? Yeah, so... Um, and I will say in the beginning of my low carb journey, I used a lot more of those replacements than I do 12 years down the road. I feel like in the beginning, you really, those cravings were there and you're, you're struggling and looking for those replacements. But some of my favorite replacements for bread are um, a protein bread. Like Maria Emmerich makes a protein bread that's just made out of egg whites. Uh, there's also in a tortilla wrap that is called Egg Life that is 100% made out of egg whites. So it is low carb, low fat, low calorie, but you can also make like the fathead pizza doughs out of almond flour and mozzarella or cookies out of coconut flour, things like that. If you just need it in the meantime. That is great. And what about the intermittent fasting? Do you, do you advocate those kind of practices for, for programs in, in your, for your yeah. patients? Yeah. So we, well, some people call it intermittent fasting. Some people call it time-restricted eating. And we use that from the beginning of our program. Um, and here's the example I like to give people because, you know, I'm in the South again. So think about our livestock that are out there grazing all day long. They're grazing. They're essentially eating lettuce all day long. But every time they eat, they're getting a little spike of insulin and a little spike of insulin. And that's keeping them from burning their body fat. And they put on a lot of body fat that way. Mm -hmm. Well, human metabolism is maybe not exactly the same, but it's pretty similar. If similar. we're constantly eating, if we're constantly taking a bite here or a drink here, we're constantly spiking that insulin. And so we're not getting access to burn our body fat because it's blocking us from burning that body fat there. So I tell people step one is we want at least a 12 hour fast. So from the time that you get done eating to the time that you start eating the next day, outside water, black coffee, unsweet tea, 12 hours, and then three meals with breaks in between. So we're not grazing throughout the day. And then over time, as your body adjusts and you're getting used to it, we wanna expand that fasting window just a little bit, going from 12 to 13 to 14 to 16. Uh, and I did a review on my Facebook page a couple, maybe about a month ago, about some recent articles uh, put out about intermittent fasting. And it showed great results for decreased body fat, regardless of what the diet was during the day, actually, whether you restricted carbs or calories or fat, just intermittent fasting itself caused weight loss. And they actually saw if you stopped eating earlier in the day, so you started eating in the morning and stopped eating you know, after lunch or mid-afternoon and had a longer fast, including the evening, you actually have better metabolic effects, better decreases in insulin and blood pressure and those type things. So intermittent fasting is a great tool for weight loss. I totally agree with you. And I have a, a great story to tell. I mean, I went, I went with my husband um, to have a vacation in Europe. We're visiting our daughter that she was uh, studying abroad in Spain. And two weeks was all was needed of bread and and more wine than usual and all of these delicious meals out in restaurants it was all was needed to put extra pounds my husband more than he wanted i mean he he came back and said no 
I need to change this, what I should do. So say, Bruce, this worked for me in the past. Let's do the restricting time eating. So we start getting him into that, you know, restriction of time eating the first meal at 11 a.m. in the morning and the last one between three and four. Now uh, getting also a lot of consumption of animal products, proteins more than anything else and reducing the carbs. Three months, 30 pounds less. That man feels amazing. He's, he's telling me, Claudia, I feel that overall my systems are like cleanse. I feel more energetic. I feel more flexible, something that he didn't recall in years, flexibility. None. He worked out a lot, but flexibility as such, he felt a lot better now. And it's like, it's like everything gets more efficient. Plus, I, he lost all of that, that uh, belly fat and everything. He feeling fantastic. But that was the, the window of, work, of, of not eating. You know, after 4 p.m., it's not food until the next day. And he managed very, very well um, that, that uh, let's say, that program. Another thing is that it was so good for me because I'm not cooking at night. And I'm cooking in the morning, so I'm working in my podcast early in the morning and after work hours. And I don't have to be in the kitchen cooking, cleaning. And he, But more than anything, it's just the way he feels. He's sleeping a lot better. I mean, he's going to be 75 in August, and he's in fantastic shape. But this program helped him a lot, and, and it was something that, wow, it was a big change, you know. And, and he feels like, why I wasn't eating like this before? I should be eating <laughs> this. Why I didn't know yeah. about this? So this you know, is all good. You picked up on something when you said, told me that story about you and noticing when your partner got on track and when he was doing something, it made a difference for you. And I see that in my practice all the time is when the, you and your partner are working on it together, you have so much better success. You're on track and it also improves your marriage too. I've seen marriages improve just because you're focusing on nutrition and something together. It's pretty amazing. And, and supporting that, that mental mindset, I'll say, you said it very, very well. It's, it's as much as physically as is mentally. When you start feeling better, when you see the clothes feeling better, I mean, he, his face is just like light up. It was like, oh, I'm feeling amazing. Yeah. I'm feeling great. <laughs> I, I can do this exercise a lot better because my flexibility, I mean, the sleeping, it was the improving the sleeping, the mental focus. It was just a, a very big difference, but I agree. Working with a partner, with your couple, is is very rewarding. It's very nice, and and I think it, it can be also lead to long term goals, which is better. It's much better. So, what about alcohol? What about the consumption of alcohol? Is that very damaging in somebody's program? Is as much as the carbs? Yes. <laughs> And that's a very unpopular opinion, but alcohol, unfortunately, it's a toxin. And that's we why it makes, us, it, yeah. it makes us intoxicated because it's a toxin. Well, because it's a toxin, it takes metabolic priority. And what that means is your body has to burn it first before it mm -hmm. can burn anything else. So if you're consuming other things, that gets stored because alcohol is having to get burned and worked through. And I have seen alcohol definitely slow down weight loss journeys or stall weight loss journeys. And what I would say is if you are trying to lose weight, if that's your goal right now, it's not going to serve you. Now, if you're in weight maintenance and you want to have a drink on occasion and that brings some sort of enjoyment and satisfaction and doesn't cause detriment to your body, um, Okay, let's try to stick to a low sugar alcohol, like a dry wine or a low carb sugar free spirit, that type thing, and keep it to a very mild consumption. You know, one, two drinks, let's not get it excess. It. You know, the other things when you're eating low carb diet, um, your sensitivity to alcohol increases. And so where you may have been someone who two or three drinks may have made you tipsy, you may be halfway into your one and already be feeling it. I didn't it. know that. Yeah. And that is why. Oh my God. <laughs> why? Why? What yeah. was the reason? So I, 
You know, I think there's a couple different reasons. One is you're burning ketones for fuel and you're throwing that toxin on top of there, but you're just so much more sensitive to everything when you're on a low carb diet because your body's in a cleaner place. You know, you're more sensitive to a little sugar or, you know, more sensitive things, but it has more to do with the fact that your body's used to burning ketones and then all of a sudden you throw alcohol in there that it has to burn. Well, I'm, I'm asking you that because during COVID-19, the pandemic, the worry that people were experiencing through the news and the uncertainty, especially in the very beginning when we didn't know where, how bad it was in other countries, all of this um, media, uh, you know, news, uh, people start consuming a lot of alcohol. And I know that because um, I was, I was actually looking what people were looking buying into the supermarket and that was more bottles that I used to see in those baskets. So talking about COVID, one of the main contributors on the death rate on the during the COVID pandemic was obesity. And especially in males and in actually not all you know younger ages, since do since we know that that was a major contributor factor to the death rate in the during the COVID-19 do you think people became more aware of managing the weight and not or if they are in the obesity just just ranges trying to prevent that because of what happened with COVID or do you think we're not there yet with the awareness unfortunately I don't think we're there yet you know I think they woke up a certain group of people but um the world's governments, by and large, they acknowledge, yeah, obesity is something that contributes to the significant mm -hmm. severity of COVID, but nothing was really focused towards improving that, you know? And I think it was such a missed opportunity by Absolutely. our health organizations. You know, we have a bigger pandemic than COVID, which is obesity, that obesity. is killing people at a faster rate than COVID ever did. And it's not slowing down. If anything, it's getting worse and what a missed opportunity for the health organizations to come in and say all right it's time for us to start getting healthier as a nation and you don't paula i'm on day five of covid right now <laughs> so no i, I know no, but it's unfortunately no, I'm Look saying I actually happened. have COVID right now. I am. You I'm on, Yeah, no, I have it right now. This is my day five. That's why I sound a little bit funky on my voice. But I, it's a mild case, and you know, I got up and put my makeup on and came in, and that's you look very good. Thank you. <laughs> but it's because I have that metabolic health that I can do that. You know, that I'm healthy Perfect. is the fact that I can do that. And so we need more stories of people saying, hey, when you're healthier, you bounce back from this. And so it's time for everybody to step in and get healthier navigating the virus at ease, like you're doing it right now. I mean, it could be a flu, it could be a strepto, it could be anything that if you're not in good health, if your you know, immune system is not as strong, anything can take you down. So look, you're navigating COVID as we speak. Yeah. That, I didn't know that, <laughs> but you're, you're doing great. That's, Thank you. That's awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> and, and this is only a testimonial of, of, of somebody that is very, very, you know, in, perfect health, having a virus, okay, navigate it through, I gonna go through this, fine. I mean, I, I gonna get my antibodies, move on, you know, move on with life. That's, that's, that's perfect. So let me ask you something about the low-carb diet. Because here in America, we got two different approaches to basically to the diets. We got in one side the low carb diet and in another one the traditionally low fat diet because for many years fats especially fats from animals animal products were demonized no 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 you you can eat a little bit of the fat on the on the meat eggs are bad for you because they increase the cholesterol all of this demonization on in the animal uh, fat they say it went on and on for many years. And that's why the, the low-fat diets were very much on trend. Right now, we're learning uh, that the low-carb diets are a lot better approach. Why? So, in my opinion, um, it is because the low-carb diet uniquely targets hunger and hunger control. Mm. Um, so, when you are restricting just calories across the board, you're restricting generally protein, fat, carbohydrate, everything. But each of the macronutrients, protein, fat, and carbohydrate act differently on that hunger center of the brain. 
Um, and protein in particular helps to quiet it. Fat also helps to quiet it and it slows digestion of or food through the intestines so you feel full longer. So when you have someone who's been constantly, their brain's been spiked by insulin and by the hunger hormones triggered by carbohydrates and you cut the carbohydrates out and generally increase the fat or the protein, hunger calms down. And sometimes for the first time in people's lives, do they feel full and satisfied with what they're eating? So they are actually wow. in control, um, but it goes further than that. So there's the hunger aspect. And I think that's one why people with a low carb diet can see such great success, especially, mm -hmm. um, but the next step is what it does hormonally to the body. So the low carb diet, you've heard me say the word insulin a lot, but insulin's like a master hormone that is a key to a lot of different things in our body. And the low carb diet targets that more than others. So it is, it more effectively lowers that insulin and helps you to feel full and satisfied and helps to stabilize your blood sugars and helps to improve your blood pressure and helps to improve like your HDL cholesterol, that good cholesterol that helps to protect our heart and helps lower those triglycerides, which are more inflammatory in my opinion than the LDL cholesterol is. Mm -hmm. And so you just see, and the research back this up is that the low carb diet the low fat diet does it, but not anywhere to the extent that the low carb diet does. And coming from someone who personally tried restricting calories and fat for a long time, multiple times in her life, if I was hungry, I was eventually going to throw in the talon eat. I was going to give up. I was going to fall off that wagon. Um, and for 12 years, I haven't thrown off that, thrown in that towel yet and fell off the wagon, you know, because I am able to satisfy my hunger and I don't feel deprived like I did before. Some other aspect of the fat that I, I've been reading a lot about is that certain amount of protein and fat is necessary for men and women to preserve the testosterone levels, the, the hormone levels in our bodies. Um, and that's something that you, you don't hear many people talking about because it's, it still is, I, I think, an, Sometimes it's on purpose that they want to demonize the animal products when it's, it's, it's you know, shown that it's so important for our hormonal health. Do you think they are misleading us that way? Yeah, they are. It's just kind of getting swept under the rug. But, you know, that that goes to a deeper rooted problem in our country, you know, back into the 70s when we decided to move to a low fat paradigm instead of the low um low carb paradigm. And then, you know, big government and big food and well, big money got involved and it just mm -hmm. kept snowballing from there. And so it's going to take a lot to turn that train around to recognize that, Hey, we kind of went the wrong way in our country. And when we said low fat, everybody started getting sicker and worse and fatter and more cancer and more heart disease and all these other things. It is more expenditure for the health system as well. I mean, I, I talk about this in other podcasts, the the amount of expense that we have here in the, in the United States yearly on the health system is, is astronomical, is, is over $4 trillion. But still, uh, the, we're not affecting in a positive way the state of health of the population. So I think when when we talk about it here in, in, in these kind of channels, in podcasts, on our social media, we discuss this, these subjects. And, and people can understand that it is a moment that we really need to take more control of our health, more control of what we eat. And, and that leads me to the next question for you, because, uh, you know, in, a, in an economy when, when we're seeing the inflation is, is growing, people get a little anxiety. We're starting the beginning of the year. A lot of people have uncertainties on their jobs and how is they going to manage the, the budget for groceries and the family. They trend to buy low quality foods on their, on their, uh, you know, with the grocery spending. So low, uh, quality processed meats, low quality carbs, a lot of cookies that to, to basically ramen satisfies noodles. ramen noodles <laughs> to satisfy the anxiety. What would be a good, a good alternative or, or ideas that we can give our audience if they feel that, that they can, you know, get them on budget buying their groceries on budget, but still buying good quality food. Yeah. So first I want to encourage people when they're looking at um, going grocery shopping and the expense of that. And yes, it can bring a lot of anxiety of how much money you're about to spend at the grocery store, but we have the opportunity to change our health with every meal that we put in our mouth. 
or we have the opportunity to make our health worse. That's going to cost us more in the long run. Yeah, um, so start thinking about your overall health and well-being, and make every decision you can count. So my first recommendation is to make a meal plan and make a list. And you shop off of that list from that meal plan every single week. You don't go buy extra just because it looks good or extra because it's on sale. If it's not on your meal plan, not on your list, don't buy it. Because inevitably, if you buy things off that list some, or that's not on that list, something's going to get wasted. And every time you waste food, you waste money. So if you shop once a week and you buy just what's on your list, you're going to start with saving money. Um, protein makes you feel full. And while protein can be expensive... Everything's getting expensive, but protein generally is a little bit more expensive than those refined and processed carbs. But if you invest your money there, you eat less overall. So you're feeling full. It takes less to fill you up. You're eating less overall. You're spending less on your groceries because you didn't have to buy all this extra bulk to just make you feel full. Um, focus, focus on the protein you can afford. If it is ground beef, if it is the chicken thighs, if it's eggs, you know, what is the protein that maybe is on sale at the grocery store that week? Organs. Organs that. are inexpensive yeah. and you can make bones to make, uh, you know, the bone the broth. Bone broth. Like mm -hmm. Yeah, that, 100%. Those are alternatives, okay? So people, we just need to get a little bit more creative, but creative yeah. in a healthy way. Buy things way. in bulk, you know? If you find something on sale, buy it in bulk and shop your freezer section because a lot of times, even if you're, if you're including vegetables in your diet, those foods are frozen at the peak of their um, ripeness. And so they're going to be a great option for you buying them, buying in bulk. And if you have the opportunity, I highly recommend connecting with a local farmer and buying your meat in bulk. It may cost a little bit at the very beginning, but over the course of the year, it is going to save you so much money to buy your meat in bulk like that. That is a good idea for us here in the cities Big cities is not as easy, but still we can be creative and get into some, some butchers that we can, you know, get, get good quality meats and uh, still on a price. So I was reading on, on your social media outlets and I was reading through some of the, the, the pillars that you think we should control if we want to get long term results when we're doing weight loss. So you talk about nutrition. You talk about exercise, you talk about management of the stress, and you talk about sleep, those four pillars. If you have to give percentages to each of them, which one will be the one that takes the cake? Oh, nutrition, 100%. 100%. If it is not first and foremost in line, everything else is just not going to matter because if your nutrition is messed up, there's no way that you can dig yourself out with just the other things. You can't outrun a bad diet. You know, I use the example in clinic all the time that if I go run three miles, I burn 150 calories. Well, think about one of those little bitty 100 calorie packs of nuts or whatever that you want to. You know, that's just three miles that I ran to have one and a half one of those. No, you can't outrun that bad diet. Now, I do think all of them are important. So, but nutrition is first. I would say it's probably, if you're looking at percentages, it's 60% of the journey. Mm -hmm. And then the other three are between 15 and uh, 10 and 15% each. Um, but on that flip side, Paula, I see a lot of people who've been working, they get their nutrition right. Maybe they've already lost some weight and they've been doing good, but then trauma, drama, whatever strikes their family and they're overly stressed and they're not sleeping and they're not as active and all of a sudden they stall on their weight loss or they start gaining. And it is really that stress aspect there and the lack of sleep because of the spike in cortisol and what that does mm -hmm. to our insulin hormones and what it does to triggering our brain to eat for comfort. Um, so all of them do matter, but nutrition takes the one. Wow. So at your practice, you got this uh, wider range of, you know, patients that come there. In, a, let's say, if we can talk in, like, in a general basis, how long does it take a program from the beginning to, let's say, start seeing good results and they can start doing maintenance, weight maintenance? How long, more or less, will it take with somebody that come to your practice and get into that point of maintenance? Yeah, so very much varies. So say someone comes in and they've got 30 pounds to lose. Well, okay. we can probably get them to maintenance um, phase within six months or less. They can start moving into that, that realm. But say someone comes in and they have 150 pounds to lose. 
well, it's going to take them a little bit longer. And we try to be flexible and tell everyone up front, your journey is going to be different than everybody else's. So only compare yourself to you. But also, it's, you may lose weight really well and think you're about to head into maintenance a year into it. And then all of a sudden something happens and we have a back step. I wish weight loss was just like this and you got straight there in one day, but it's more of this kind of roller coaster up and down kind of ride. So it, it definitely varies, especially based off of how much weight you have to lose to start with. But, you know, 30 pounds, I think six months is acceptable depending on what's going on in your life and how focused and dedicated you are to that. But, you know, most people within one to two years are ready to move into that maintenance phase. That is great. So now I see, I see uh, here where I live in South Florida at the beach, I see a lot of families when they go to the beach. And when I see a family that the, the father is overweight, I see the mama is overweight and the kids are overweight, but they seem like they look at themselves like normal. It's kind of like at the eye, they normalize the overweight, like, tolerance they say they they think they're they're just fine and you can see them they all overweight when somebody comes to your practice as a patient um do you think they have better rate of success if they do it like a program for the family let's say like they, they implement those little changes like along the diet that all the family consume that they are doing it individually do you think they have better chance to succeed if they do it as a family group I do, but um, I have individuals that succeed as well, but definitely when you're working at it with a team, you're going to be more successful. And I think that's why things like Weight Watchers has been around for as long as it has. It's not because it's a great program. It's because of the support and the link and the, you know, the connection that you have with people. And so, you know what, say you're doing it as a family. I can use my family for an example. So I have two kids. Uh, they're younger. My son is 13. My daughter's eight. But my family has slowly all moved to eating low carb. So my parents eat low carb. My siblings do some version of low carb. But my son will go to the grocery store with my mom and she'll mm -hmm. pick something up off the counter. And he says, um, no, you have to put that back. Look at the ingredients. You can't have that. <laughs> Love um, or, it. <laughs> or she'll say, let's, per, you know, fix a snack. And he'll be like, no, you can't do that. And then they're watching and then they come home and tell me, Hey, guess what they had today? <laughs> But, it's but more, that's lovely. Yeah, lovely. when you have yes. everybody focused on the same goal, that community aspect of it, 100% you're more successful. That, that's, uh, you know, and I see that, and I can tell this a lot better for the mom, mother, let's say. She wants to follow the program, but if she gets rid of all of those cookies for everybody, she's cooking less potatoes for everybody, she's mixing the rice, the potatoes, the plantains, and, and the biscuits all in a plate less. She's helping herself, but plus the other ones are start learning from that new way so to speak. So Amanda, what about interventions other than nutrition? What is your thinking about those other protocols such as surgeries, such as medicines? They became super popular lately because Hollywood made them popular. You pinch yourself in the belly, you lose in two weeks. So what do you think about those things? Yeah. So surgery and medicines are tools. Um, they are not answers. They are not solutions, but they are tools and everybody's journey is, is different. Uh, and some people need those tools. Other people don't need those tools. You, you just mm -hmm. kind of have to get based off the individual, but there are pros and cons you have to consider. And I've got a, a great video on my Facebook page. If anyone wants to go back and look at it, just talking specifically about, uh, medicines for weight loss. But you know, the pros is you're going to lose weight quicker with the drugs. It does lose weight quicker. It helps to control that hunger faster. You see, you get more of that buy-in because it's a quick kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but there's always a downside. There's side effects. You know, everything that you put in your body, whether it is a food substance or a medicine or a drug, you know, whatever, it has side effects. Side effects. And some of those side effects are good. And some of them are bad. And unfortunately, with like medications, you have side effects like nausea and vomiting and headaches and all kinds of strange things like that. Irregular heartbeats with some of our obesity medicines. So um, surgery, some of those side effects may be post-surgical complications like infections or malnutrition because you can't absorb vitamins the way that you did before. So there, there are those, those cons that go there with medicines and surgery. 
But I think one of the biggest cons is we, a lot of people fool themselves into thinking that that's an answer and they become very reliant on the surgery or the medication to do the work for them. When the bad thing is, is there's not, there's not a magic pill. There's not a magic solution. You have to put the work in every single day. You have to change. People are looking for the magic pill in everything they do. And I know people, myself, noble friends that they did the, the surgery, for example, but the surgery didn't fix the habits sooner than later. Unfortunately, they went back to be obese. And then, you know, sadly is that like that they were looking for the fast, uh, fix, you know, that was sad because uh, it, it didn't affect the way that they were systematically approaching their food. So they started eating again what they were eating before. Guess what? They they gained the weight again. So that was that was unfortunate. But I see that very often in with the medicines. Again, the magic pill. This is the fast approach to everything. Or I gonna do it right away. I gonna be fixed. This is my my one time thing, and I gonna get fixed. So. Yeah, I think that when when you affect the habits, the eating habits of somebody, thinking about the way they they eat, and they get into these programs, the discipline will take them to longer, um, you know, term uh, achievement of goals. So that's that's basically what what I think is is better. So let's talk about your upcoming event. And uh, before that, I want to encourage the people to go to your social media outlets. You spoke about Facebook a few minutes ago, and I have to tell you, my audience, that Amanda had a very nice Facebook page. She's very creative with the uh, recipes, a lot of Southern recipes and many others that you can find there, creative ways of eating the normal foods that you eat that are more lo- loaded with carbs. She had versions there of doing it with no carbs or, or healthier ways for you. So I totally um, invite you to go and visit Amanda Decker's Facebook. I'm going to leave all the links to her her uh, outlets, her Facebook and web uh, site and everything uh, down below the description of this podcast. So people that are interested in learning more about what you're doing, your recipes, and reach out to you, they can do that. But let's talk about your upcoming event. I know something really interesting is on the cooks, and, and I want you to tell us about it. Yeah, so last year, I had the desire to do more for my community. You know, I, I come in and I work every day, but I'm talking to one person at a time. And I wanted to reach a broader audience. I wanted to get the information to anyone who wanted to listen. And so it's like, all right, I can do a conference. I can do this. And so last year, it was really low tech. We worked out of the, one of the local high schools here. Um, they had some local vendors like local farmers and local car people that were here, but we had uh, three speakers in just a half afternoon. But this year we're going bigger, Claudia. I have, yeah, I'm going bigger. So I have rented uh, Montgomery Bell Inn and Conference Center, which is a state park here in Dixon, Tennessee, about an hour west of Nashville. They have a a conference center that can hold about 300 people. Uh, And we're going to make it an all day event with more speakers. We're also going to have a meal in between in the in between the morning and afternoon sessions so that people can have time to connect to the speakers one-on-one um, and connect with each other and hear about each other's journeys and things of that nature. Uh, we're very, very excited. This is going to be on August the 26th, which is a Saturday at Montgomery Bell Inn and Conference Center. Uh, I will be speaking. I have a great friend, Jennifer Williams, who's a diabetes specialist. She will be speaking. We have Autumn Winters, who is from Watch Autumn Keto. If you've ever seen her social media mm-hmm. platforms, she will yes, be there speaking. Yes, very popular. Yeah. Dr. Uh, Eric Westman from Duke University will be there. And Dr. Kim Berry and his wife, Misha, will also be there. They were Greatest the speakers. Year. Yeah, we're super excited. And so I feel so fortunate to be able to bring this event to uh, my local community here and have people come in and just hear the information. That is awesome. I'm going to put the, all the information about the event. The event is called Low Carb for Better Health. Very appropriate. And Express All Health and Wellness Podcast will be a sponsoring. We're going to be attending. So this is going to be awesome. And we're going to do a good uh, deal of coverage on the on the speakers and the people attending because we think that this kind of events really bring awareness. And through our podcast, I mean, we are in 25 different channels around the world. 
many more people can understand, learn, and, and see the speakers, um, talking about these new technologies, these new uh, protocols, these new ways of approaching nutrition through the low carb diets. And in that is all good. So this is great. Thank you very much for inviting us. And as I say, I'm going to be posting all the information about it as we come closer to the time. But uh, Amanda, this has been very nice talking to you. I would like for you to um, tell us if you want to talk about something else that you're doing at your practice for your for your patients. Um, this is the moment for you to tell us about. Yeah, so we're adding a couple of new programs. We're starting a remote patient monitoring diabetes program wow. to help people learn how to improve and reverse their diabetes using nutrition, which we're super excited about that. That's the, the undertaking that I have right now. We also recently added bioidentical hormone replacement, uh, just trying to optimize those hormones as the body ages so that we can feel our best and feel vibrant. And we do that through bioidentical hormones. We've added that recently. We do that all through telehealth. So if you're in the state of Tennessee and you would like a provider to help uh, work with you on that, please give us a call. That is great. That is all good news. We're going to have experts here about talking about hormone replacement therapy. Um, actually, Dr. Faride Ramos, a, a functional medicine doctor that was with us a few weeks be be before, um, she was talking about it too, because uh, that's another preventive measurement for people that want to get healthier and live longer and live happier. Love longer. Why not? Yes. We didn't deserve to experience all, all the good stuff about life. So perfect. That is great. And thank you for sharing that information with us. So for you guys to know, uh, over there at the DMA Weight and Wellness in Dixon, Tennessee, Amanda Decker and her staff are going to be waiting for you questions and for welcome you if you want to be a new patient. So Amanda, thank you very much in thank this first you, day of 2023 to be with us. I hope we're going to have you in the future here talking about another topic and we're going to see you in August at your conference. In um, Montgomery is Bell State Park in Dixon, Tennessee. Again, is the low carb for better health in August 26. So thank you very much. Appreciate you staying here. Bye-bye and stay healthy. And for you out there, remember, health is wealth for the body, mind, and soul. Until next time, thank you very much. Take care. Thank you very much for listening. And if you like the information that we shared with you today, please subscribe to the Express Soul Health and Wellness podcast and follow us in the social media outlets of your choice. Until next time, please remember, health is wealth for the body, mind and soul.